0: Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast, Andrew Musgrove here. It is time for the view from the opposition, but before I bring you that show, I just want to point you in the direction of the Everything Is Black and White podcast live. We're back at the Tyneside Irish Centre on May the 25th. And it's going to be a great opportunity for you guys to come and see us in person and talk all things Newcastle United. We'll have the usual panel made up of Lee Ryder, Kieran Kelly and Aaron Stoke. But we're joined by the mirrors, Simon Bird as well. And we've gone one better. We've got you a very special guest to kick off the evening. Newcastle United legend. One of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Not my words, but the words of Alan Shearer. Who is the special guest? Well, some of you may have already guessed. It's Alberto Solano. So come along, secure your tickets. All you've got to do is click that link in the podcast description and we'll see you on May the 25th. By that time, Newcastle may have secured top four football. We always love seeing you guys in person. Please do come along, raising some money for charity as well. So like I say, hit that link in that description to secure your tickets. We hope to see you there. May the 25th, Tynesite Irish Centre. I think we'll get on with the show now hello and welcome to the everything is black and white podcast it's time for the view from the opposition this week it comes from alistair gold from football london who covers spurs and you might remember alistair was on the special episode of the everything is black and white podcast where we spoke to the runners and riders for the top four and back then Alistair, it was a little bit chaotic and it's fair to say i think it's still down the same track
1: Yes, that's pretty much been the case for this season, to be honest, Um, just to kind of put it into context for people. At the moment, Tottenham do not have a men's first team manager. They do not have a women's first team manager. Their managing director of football resigned this morning and their star player, Harry Kane, is about to enter the last 12 months of his contract. So, yeah, everything at Spurs is not great. We've got... Fans turning on the chairman. We've got fans calling for their old manager and Richard Pochettino. We've got fans booing their own player in Davinson Sanchez as well, uh, with every touch he made up the other day. So yeah, things not good at Spurs. If I was Newcastle, I would be honestly licking my lips at the prospect of playing Spurs this weekend.
0: I'm going to say I think our listeners will be over the moon that for once it's not Newcastle United the club in <laughs> chaos because. Before the takeover happened, it was always Newcastle United on the back pages doing something daft, and it's so refreshing that over the last 18 months or so, there's other clubs that um, have taken up that mantle. So it's brilliant to have that. Um, you mentioned uh, the kind of the off-the-field situation. Um, with. Well, We'll start with the, the, the resignation this morning of um, the, the director of football. Just go into what's been happening there and how you think this is going to affect the, the rest of the season and, and onwards.
1: Yeah, so a couple of years ago, Spurs made a little bit of a surprise move in bringing Fabio Pratici in. He was about to depart Juventus after 11 years there. And I think Daniel Levy saw, you know, a guy that worked in a very big club, uh, doing very uh, working at an elite level, and he wanted to bring him into Spurs to to change everything within Tottenham to match that. It hasn't really worked um, in any shape or form. He's made little kind of improvements behind the scenes. He's overhauled little bits and pieces in certain departments, increased some of the budgets across scouting, recruitment, uh, and in the academy as well. He's brought in some good players. You know, uh, Rodrigo Bentancur, Kulusevsky, Christian Romero have all come in. You'd probably say they're the only three out of, I think, it's about 11 players he's brought in that have been a, a, a decent success thus far. But rumbling in the background, the whole time has been um, the financial mismanagement, let's call it that, that was going on at Juventus, um, or that they were certainly charged with. And Fabio Prasci is there. Um, I'm trying to remember what his official title at Juventus was. I think it was something like Chief Football Officer, something like that. And um, he was wrapped up right in the centre of it. And that resulted in... The Italian Football Federation, uh, last month, I think it was, handing him a a two-and-a-half-year ban for his involvement in... It's all to do with things to do with like inflating transfer fees. There's there's quite a lot of detail to it. So he got that, and then a couple of weeks later, FIFA went, yep, we're having a bit of that as well. They extended that ban globally. Uh, He took a leave of absence from Tottenham because, obviously, he was a managing director of football that couldn't manage or direct football. Um, and then yesterday was the big appeal to see whether he could get the Italian Football Federation um, ban knocked down, and that was rejected. So while there's many more avenues for him to take a potential appeal routes, and the chance that he could actually appeal the FIFA side of the ban alone, I think it's just got to the point where Spurs and Pochettino have just thought we can't keep doing this because you can't work, and he has stepped away. He's resigned. That's been made official this morning, and yeah, and now there's this kind of little weird void within the club uh, where they've got a new chief football officer coming in in July on July the first in Scott Munn, who comes from the City Group, but they don't actually have anyone in that kind of sporting director, technical director, whatever you want to call it role. They're going to have people below are going to have to kind of fill in until they bring someone else in. So, uh, yeah, the Italian influence at Tottenham Hotspur is is rapidly shrinking.
0: Yeah, and I guess with his resignation, does it impact what Spurs were maybe going to do in the summer in terms of trying to get ahead of, you know, the transfer window and obviously appointing a manager as well? I know a lot might depend on whether Spurs get the top four, but I assume losing a man in this position uh, just before the, the start of the transfer window isn't ideal.
1: No, no, not at all. That was the one thing you could definitely give Pratchatchi last summer, in his first full proper summer. Spurs did a lot of early deals, and they've never really done that. They're always known as this team that operates in the final days of a transfer window. And to be fair, I think they had probably their four main big signings in place in time for the pre-season tour, um, and that was kind of unheard of. So, yep, that will definitely play its part. The managerial search maybe is a slightly different thing. I mean, Prasicci headed up the first one, uh, which was unfortunately brought in Nuno Espirito Santo. Then Daniel Levy kind of took that out of his hands the next time, and he was the one that appointed Antonio Conte. So while Prasicci was going to have an involvement in this one, I think probably it was always likely Daniel Levy was going to take the the main... uh, grasp on this uh, managerial search. So I don't think that's been affected too much. It may just be that some of the names on the shortlist, like I know practically liked Luis Enrique, and Sergio Contrachao, the Porto boss as well. You may find that other ones that are recommended by other people within the club maybe rise near the top as well.
0: And does all this kind of just play into looking from the, the outside in, this kind of... Uh, disunity within the club it doesn't seem like it's a very happy place to be either in the terraces or in the dressing room
1: absolutely it's horrendous I don't I'm trying to think of a time that the club's been as fragmented in in recent years under um Pochettino it was probably the the, certainly the little kind of I don't want to say glory years because it didn't win anything but the peak years when they were really flying high in the Premier League, and, you know, three consecutive top three finishes, Champions League final after that as well. I don't think I've ever seen the club as United fans, players, the manager. And the last four years, has just progressively gone downhill in the opposite direction. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a worse atmosphere than we had against Bournemouth uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday. That was not only the chance for Levy, the chance for Pochettino, but to hear the fans booing one of their own players, who, to be fair to Davin Sanchez, he's not. it's not like it's a lack of effort. It's not like he's disrespecting the club in any way. He just, unfortunately, is a defender who has a mistake a game in him. And on this occasion, he came in lacking in sharpness and rhythm, and he messed up a bit for the second Bournemouth goal. But then to see the fans booing every touch afterwards and then eventually just was taken off. It was it was horrible And you had fans turning on each other. You had fans really ashamed of that behaviour from other fans. You had other fans condoning it. Um, it's a club now just without any real direction. And unfortunately, that has to fall on the chairman because he's the man that's supposed to steer the ship. And right now it doesn't feel like it just feels like they're floating aimlessly towards like the rocks, really.
0: Hmm. I, I, for our listeners, that might sound a little bit similar to when Newcastle faced Hull in the days after Kevin Keegan's uh, resignation back uh, more than 10 years ago now. It was, a, it was a date in James' Park where you did have fans turning on each other. The atmosphere was was dreadful. So again, I'm very happy Newcastle aren't in a similar <laughs> position. The, the reaction to Sanchez and, 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 and the atmosphere during that Bournemouth game had that been building, or did that come out of the you know, I guess the way that they, they played on on was it Saturday or Sunday? Like you know, last weekend. Saturday.
1: Yeah. Saturday. Um, it's definitely the frustration has been building. The Daniel Levy, we want to, we want Levy out. chance, have been building with each away game and home game. You'll hear them at Saint James's Park again on on Sunday. Uh, the calls from Richard Pochettino have definitely been rising in recent weeks because obviously. There's a nostalgic element now. Everyone remembers that as being the good times, apart from the last year or so. Um, But when it comes to Sanchez, he's one of those players that, you know, there's definitely a section of the fan base that is concerned and worried when he comes on because of that one mistake he'll make. He doesn't exactly inspire confidence. But to be fair to him, he hasn't had a run of games for a long, long time. So he always looks very... um, out of sharpness and lacking rhythm. Um, Yeah, I think this was a bit of everything rolled into one and unfortunately they took it out on Sanchez. Um, And the irony is because Clement Clement Longley got injured and he had to come on for him, there's a very real chance Samson Sanchez could have to play on Sunday. And what his confidence is going to be like, I have no idea because he went off, sat on the bench and his hand over his face, he looked absolutely devastated.
0: So, yeah, things are not good. Talk to me about the actual result against Bournemouth because it was the ideal opportunity for Spurs to to really hit Newcastle hard, given the fact Newcastle had earlier in the day lost to, to Aston Villa. And, and, you know, to lose in the last minute like that is an absolute punch to the gut, isn't it?
1: It, it really is. Um there's one other common thread with Spurs this season, and that's been every time they've been offered a gift, whether it be another team you know, losing or even another team having a player sent off in some matches, they've always slapped that hand away. They've always said, no, 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 we, we don't want any help when they really clearly need it. And this was another occasion when, like you say, if they'd stepped up after the early kickoff, seeing the result against Villa, they really could have pushed themselves back into the reckoning again. And, uh, yeah. They absolutely threw that away with the most... It was just like Spurs' performances this year have been so identical. You could just know what's going to happen in most games. So they start really brightly. They have about 10, 15 minutes where they play well. There's a lot of uh, pressure, pressing, movement. They maybe score a goal in those opening 15 minutes. Then they just sit back. No one knows why. The manager can never explain it. The players never really can seem to explain it. They just seem to sit back. Invite pressure. The other team often scores. And then it's about whether Spurs can get themselves back into the game or not. And unfortunately, a lot of the time they haven't. But it's so indicative of this weird Premier League season that everything I've just said, all of the chaos, all of the mess, and Spurs are fifth in the Premier League. I still have no idea how that is the case. uh, Because really, they should be far, far adrift from this top four race. Um, They've been that bad. Obviously, Harry Kane, any team that kind of keeps them afloat. And he's done that again this season. And yeah, Sonny's come to life a little bit in recent weeks, which has helped. But still, it's, uh, again, I can only go back to what I said. If I was Newcastle, especially looking to have a response after their defeat, it's almost like the perfect team to rock up to the stadium.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the reaction of both sides because with Newcastle... Losing 3 0, the way they performed, you get the feeling it was a bad day at the office, but that is not Newcastle night this season. Where is with Spurs and with what you've just said as well, you feel like actually losing 3 2 to Bournemouth in that fashion is is kind of a little bit like Spurs this season. So be interesting to see the reaction. Do you expect a response from Spurs?
1: (laughs) I hope hope so. Um... Often when we've wanted a reaction, the fans have wanted a reaction, there hasn't been one. Um, it's such a strange club. Almost, I think the wins have come from unexpected games. That's the strange thing. So that's maybe one thing Spurs fans might cling to, is that probably when you least expect them to do anything, they'll suddenly do something like, you know, they beat Man City, they've beaten Chelsea, uh, um They've uh, just come up and there was a game at Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park a couple of months back when it was just looking really, really poor. They were struggling to score any goals and they went there and they won something like four or five nil. Um, So they do have it in them. That's the one thing I'd say about Spurs is despite the fact they're struggling at the moment to create lots of chances on goal. They've just got these players that can produce individual moments of magic and they heavily rely on them. Um, And I think that will have to be the case again on Sunday. You know, they're going to have to find... The biggest problem, I think, for Spurs at the moment is the defence. The amount of goals they've conceded this season is, you know, it's worse than some teams, you know, the the lower half of the table, let alone the top half. Um, They've got to, despite the injuries, find some way of plugging that defence up.
0: How will they handle the atmosphere on on Sunday St James' James Park because I think the call has gone out for Newcastle United fans to really be up for this game because this is a massive game if Newcastle United win it you know they'll go on to 59 points a game in hand still on Spurs I mean that is a massive gap in terms of the race for the top four it, you know, It's going to be a, a real cauldron. We felt it against Manchester United, St James's Park, where the crowd, I know it's a cliche 12th man, but they really, really were, and they really helped drive Newcastle. Every challenge was getting cheered, every throwing was getting cheered. And I'm just wondering, with Spurs in this kind of fragile state of mind, how much impact will the Newcastle crowd have on them? A
1: lot. A lot, to be honest. It used to be something that the Spurs, again, I hate to keep harking back to Pochettino because it feels like what the fans are doing each week, but Spurs got to a stage where they were very good at dealing with the noise of opposition fans. They were very good at it. You often find some of their best results would come, I mean, obviously most famously uh, Ajax in the Champions League semi-final. It just didn't matter. This current Tottenham's team are completely the opposite. They... Pretty much, you could trace through this season and almost every game where the home crowd has been noisy and created an atmosphere. Spurs have crumbled pretty much everyone. So, yeah, uh, I hope no Spurs kind of fans might end up listening to this because it is not a positive outlook for them in any way. But, yeah, I, I, as someone that's been to St. James's Park and has heard the atmosphere, even when things aren't going well. Yeah, if if you guys at St. George's Park put together a bit of noise, I don't think it's going to end well for Spurs.
0: And obviously, Conte, when he left Spurs, it, he did so on the back of those comments about them, you know, not being able to handle the pressure, crumbling and, and, and all that. And he was criticised by some. Some said, well, he's only speaking the truth. He just can't really say that out in the open. I'm just wondering, by not appointing a manager when he's gone and appointing his number two to take Spurs to the end of the season. What kind of damage has that done? Because is it kind of like for like? And if that's Conte's uh, conclusion of the squad, then is that not Stellini's conclusion of the squad? Instead of bringing someone in who can put the arm on the shoulder and take them in a total different direction, you've essentially just got Conte mark II, and that's not going to improve you know, the players in terms of handling the pressure and not crumbling.
1: Yeah, thus far it is one hundred percent a continuation. Um, if I'm gonna give Christian Cellini some defense, he's been absolutely stuffed by the injuries that Spurs have got. Um, they've got some key players out like Bentoncourt, um Bissuma, Ben Davies has been playing really well in recent weeks. He's out. Richardson had been out until uh the previous week. Cessignon's out as well. Um and one of the at Emerson Royale as well. And this is probably the main issue he's got is that a lot of those names I've just mentioned are fullbacks. So he's been unable to switch away from Conte's formation because they cannot go to back four. They just don't have the, the personnel unless they kind of crudely use a, a centre-back as a probably a left-back would be the main way to do that. Um, so, yeah, he has been hampered in that respect. But then on the, the flip side, this is the guy that's been with Conte on and off for 20 years. He's absolutely got the Conte way ingrained in him. So he was never really going to change it up too much. I think the club's logic was that anyone else coming in, it would have to be such a a drastic change in everything, training, tactics, formation, that they could completely have, I suppose, fallen off a cliff for about five or six games while they were trying to get used to that. Obviously, the way it's worked, it, it hasn't been successful doing it the other way. So... Yeah, I mean, Stellini is a popular guy in the club, as in terms of the players really like him. Um, I guess if you want to do the whole cliche good cop, bad cop, you know, he was the good cop to Conte's bad cop. So you've got that. He does have Ryan Mason, who does have a more attacking sense to his coaching as his number two. So his voice would be that little bit louder. But what we've seen in the first three games, yeah, there hasn't been too much of a difference. And I'd, I'd be shocked if, you know, going to St James' Park against a team higher up the table, I think we'll probably see the counter-attacking version of Tottenham once again.
0: And in terms of the search for a new manager and the race for the top four, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's an expectation that Spurs qualify for the top four. If you were asking people at the start of this season, it would have been top four at the bare minimum. And then with the new manager search... Is it a case that like maybe managers are saying, well, we're not we're not going to commit until we know Spurs are in the top four. And I'm just wondering if that is the case, what sort of pressure that is having on Spurs, you know, on Sunday and the remainder of the season, whereas with Newcastle, there's no expectation I mean, being fourth on the table is absolutely ludicrous when you think about it, especially where they were last season. And I'm just wondering that, you know, there does seem to be this expectation on Spurs and how they handle that.
1: I think there definitely was. I think start of the season, certainly under Conte, I think there was a real expectation. Um, I would probably argue I don't think that's there anymore. I think because of the utter mess they've been in um, and recent results especially, I do think they're very much seen as outsiders um, in the top four. I mean, obviously, I think they, if they lose on Sunday, I, I pretty much say that's it, purely because of the amount of teams chasing behind as well. And the the games that Spurs have got in this coming week, you know, obviously they start at Newcastle, but then they've got Man U at home and then they've got Liverpool away. So it is pretty much a week where Spurs could end up from 7th or 8th by the end of this week. It could be completely different. So I wouldn't say the pressure's on in that respect. I think if there's pressure, it's the fact that this is kind of all or nothing. Uh, I don't want to use that very much. That was a documentary name that they were in. But yeah, very much so. I think this Sunday is, uh, is do or die for them.
0: In, in terms of pressure, I'm just meaning kind of... Is there a fear of the ramifications of not getting into the top four for Spurs for next season in terms of the transfers and potentially the manager they could could attract?
1: Maybe, maybe. Obviously, this was their return to it. They had been two years out of the top four anyway. Um, and obviously, they I guess they would argue they attracted Conte um, when they weren't in the Champions League. Um, players... Yeah, it's a differing thing, isn't it? Sometimes players um, are attracted by the lure of the Champions League. Sometimes they're attracted by money. Sometimes they're attracted just by a good project. And I think, you know, you guys are seeing that in Newcastle. You've brought in some very good players that haven't been brought in because of Champions League football. They've been brought in because of the direction and the future and and what they can see is clearly happening there. Um, Yeah, I... I wouldn't say it's a be-all and end-all. I'd say it's a, it would be a massive boost. It would be um, a huge thing, I think, financially as well for a club who, you know, th- we, we know the Tottenham model. It's a sustainable model built upon uh, spending what they bring in. So I guess having a, a bigger influx in finances also helps in that regard and what they can give to any new manager this summer in the transfer market. But well, I would say there's enough options out there in the managerial market for them to to not have to kind of compromise on another Nuno Breda Santo. I think they could uh, still point a very good manager regardless of whether they're top four.
0: Yeah, I think everyone's expecting Spurs, Chelsea and Liverpool to bounce back next season as well. So even more reason for Newcastle, hopefully, to get top four this season. Um, just in terms of personnel on Sunday, you mentioned obviously a few injuries. I'm just wondering... Um, we we, we would think it would be uh, Alexander Isak starting up front for Newcastle. So who is likely to be the man who's going to try and keep him quiet? (laughs)
1: Um, At the moment, the only definite are probably Christian Romero and Eric Dyer in that back three. Um, Then it's very much what happens. Because of the Clement Longley injury, that's a real issue because he was the balance on the left-hand side. So what happened on Sunday, which is where it all went completely wrong, was that Davinson Sanchez replaced Longley and they pushed Romero over to the left and he looked entirely out of place there and Sanchez didn't look particularly good on the right. So I've put in my early predicted team, that's ahead of the press conference today, that I think maybe they'll go for Jaffa Tenganga who can kind of play on the left. So I think that could be the back three, but I've just got a funny feeling as well he might send a message to the fans and pick Davinson Sanchez as if to say, "I'm not going to kind of destroy this guy because of the treatment he's been having. If anything, we're going to stand behind him." So, that would be a hell of a battle for Davinson Sanchez to come in against a player who obviously is finding his feet in great uh, form right now as well, and, and um, obviously apart from the weekend, but has, has certainly found the, the goal again. So, yeah, 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 definitely. I think. Definitely, definitely uh, we know uh, Daryl and Romero. They're the
0: two that he's definitely going to be coming up against, whatever. It's interesting. But, um, Eddie Howe's held his press conference today. He's hinted that Miguel Miron could, could uh, start. Sean Longstaff is fit as well. And Newcastle really missed Sean Longstaff against Villa. So, we assume Sean Longstaff will come into the midfield alongside Bruno. Then it's a question of who drops out. Does Joe Linton drop out? Um, or does Joe Willick drop out? Potentially, Anthony Gordon could drop out and then Joe Linton move on to the left. How key is that midfield battle going to be with the likes of Bruno Guimaraes, Sean Longstaff up against, is it Heilberg And then um, obviously you're missing the likes of Bazuma, You know, who, who's going to be in there alongside Heidelberg and how important is it going to be for the winner on Sunday?
1: It's going to be huge because <clears throat> what it has been is Oliver Skip and Hoybier, which is a very uh, industrious midfield pairing, but maybe without particularly quality going forward. And it's put a real strain, I think, on the front three to try and create stuff because previously they had Benton who was able to chip in with goals as well. Um, Personally, and I don't know if it'll happen, but personally I'd like to see Spurs try and match up with the three in midfield because whenever they go with two against the three in midfield, they invariably struggle big time uh, for possession. So the only option they have because of injuries is young uh, Pat Matasar, who is 20, but he's he's played in some reasonably big games this season and he's looked quite bright. So personally, I'd like to see him go with a midfield three to match up there. But Stellini just kind of always, or certainly thus far, seems to resort to what he knows. Um, and I do think that could be where this game is really won, in that midfield. If, if Newcastle have got the noise behind them, the pressure behind them, and they've got a midfield that are winning a lot of the ball then Spurs are just naturally going to continue to sit back, sit back and sit even further back. And they're going to have to hope for the odd counter-attack. But the problem with that strategy this year is, is if you just let in one goal, then it kind of ruins the whole tactic. And Spurs, unfortunately, have just done that too many times.
0: I think Newcastle have been really successful when they've pressed high and they've come out really quickly against Villa. 20 seconds in, they looked, you know, they were in trouble. You could see Ollie Watkins getting the better of the defence. At times, the defence was running through concrete. So hopefully, you know, they'll be in a much better position on Sunday. But I do think the high press is going to be key, forcing Spurs into into mistakes. We kind of saw it down in the capital uh, early in the season when, you know, especially was at the second goal, I think, when Louise kicks it out and Longstaff, you know, knocks it back and then Newcastle end up scoring. Spurs didn't seem to be able to handle the high press. Will that be different this time around?
1: (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um, It was something that was always the biggest irony of how Spurs were in the past because Spurs used to love playing the pressing game. They did that a lot, yet were so susceptible to it being done back to them. And it just hasn't changed. If anything, they've lost the ability to press for 90 minutes, yet still are very, very vulnerable to being pressed themselves. And, my massive fear, unfortunately, is if Davinson Sanchez does play. Technically, he is someone that struggles a lot with the press on him, um, and that's that's another reason for me. I wouldn't go with him because I just feel like he will he'll be pressured into mistakes, and then that only brings back the uh, the problems that he had on some uh, last Saturday. Yeah, this sounds like the most pessimistic, demoralising ever report on a on a team, but unfortunately, just the way Spurs are at the moment. Their weaknesses are so glaring and they're not fixing them. Uh, So, you know, if I'm any opposition manager right now, you know you're kind of A, B and C to your plan and the various things you can do because Spurs will struggle with it. So, well, it's going to have to be a massive week on the training ground for Spurs trying to fix some of these issues. Uh,
0: Give me one of those weaknesses, then. Have you already, how, where do you think he's pinpointed the priority that he can get at Spurs?
1: I think you just said it. The main one is pressing. If you press Spurs, if you show more energy to them, Spurs will naturally then just sit back, fall into their shell and give you the ball back. It's just unfortunately just what they do, and especially this season more than ever. So, yeah, if, if Newcastle press high up the pitch, show that intensity to kind of want to please the home crowd, especially, they'll get a lot of joy through that tactic.
0: Fingers crossed there for Newcastle. I've got a stat for you before I ask for your score prediction, Alistair. Uh, Spurs have won four of the last five at St James's Park uh, and they've also scored just under 65% of their Premier League goals this season in the second half. Now, does that mean they're late starters to to games or is that just kind of a miscellaneous stat?
1: No, no, definitely late starters um, for much of the season. It's been a running joke about how awful Spurs have been in first halves. Um, honestly, the amount of booze at halftime at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has been incredible this season. They just don't seem to wake up. Um, like I say, they'll often have this little 10 minutes at the start where they're, they're kind of flattered to deceive, where you think, oh, yeah, they're pressing them. they're moving. And then suddenly that absolutely collapses and they stop doing that. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And it, it kind of paints the picture of exactly what Spurs have been like.
0: And if, for whatever reason, there are a few Spurs fans listening to this podcast, and you're thinking that's a good start, you know we can get at them in the second half. Newcastle have conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League after half time, so maybe not. You know, 13 goals have conceded in the second half, so there's a positive stuff for for our listeners. Um, just before I ask you for your score prediction, I'm just going to point our listeners in the direction of a live event that we're holding on the 25th of May at the Tyneside Irish Centre. We'll have our panel of writers plus the mirror Simon Bird and special guest Norberto Solano um, tickets are £5. I'll pop the link to where you can get your tickets into the comments. Do come along. It would be great to see you. Um, Alistair, how is this one going to go?
1: I can't end on a demoralising note for Spurs. any Spurs fans that do happen to listen to this. So I'm going to go with Spurs somehow come away with a point in a 2-2 scoreline.
0: Do you know what? The old Newcastle Newcastle United fans before the takeover would be sat here listening to you, uh, you know, giving the facts on Spurs and painting a pretty dismal picture and still, I think, be very wary of Spurs and maybe even predict a, a win because that was the Newcastle of old. But... I think the way Newcastle United are, you can write Saturday off against Villa as it is a one-off, a bad day at the office. You know Eddie Howe's going to have gone in and gone. That's not good enough. That's not what we expect. The crowd behind them as well. And what it means in the table. A win is huge, massive for Newcastle. So I'm going to go for Newcastle United win. Uh, I think it could be similar. I'm going to go 3-0. I'm feeling positive. That's going to come back and bite me in the backside. But hey, 3-0 <laughs> to Newcastle. That's what I'm going for. Um are you upon are you upon Sunday to cover the game? I am.
1: I am. I will be there. i be making the early uh the early pilgrimage up there. Um look forward to it. I honestly I love the stadium. It's one of my favorite stadiums. Um although the press box does have these funny little perspective things that always they don't help you when the sun shines, but I can't complain. Obviously I'm I'm not paying to go into the stadium and I'm very fortunate to go in there and uh it's a wonderful stadium and I just hope Spurs can do something from the match to kind of salvage where this season's heading
0: Mm. you do have like you say them weird kind of plastic things but it's a brilliant press box because you can hear everything from the dugout and the players and I I love that aspect about it because you are very close to the action so it's great to hear the instructions and the groans and moans and it it is great to see that so but safe travel up to Ty and for Sunday's game thank you for giving the insight into Spurs. And to so our listeners, please hit that follow button on your podcast provider and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news.